0: What's up everyone and welcome to the Long Game Podcast hosted by Thomas Koppelman and Jacob Turner. In each episode, you'll hear us break down financial topics that are relevant to you and your situation. Our goal is to help bring credible financial information to you in short, bite-sized episodes.
1: All opinions expressed on this show are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on the Long Game Podcast should be considered advice. Always consult with your team of professionals before making any decisions regarding your finances.
0: All right, what is up and welcome back everyone to another episode of the Long Game Podcast. Today, we are joined by Steven Jarvis. He's been on the podcast before, Um, just an awesome guy, somebody that's really in the financial planning community, but on the tax side, helping solve problems for advisors. So we're going to talk all things tax today, but Steven, thanks for joining us, man.
2: Yeah, Thomas, I'm super excited to be here. Uh, It's always fun to talk taxes. I love it when I can get on a podcast. Other people are happy to talk about taxes. So I'll take that invite every time.
0: Okay, well, I'm sure we're gonna have you back a bunch. This is time number two. But before we dive into it, can you kind of give a quick intro of who you are, what you do, and then we'll hit the topic.
2: Yeah, so Steven Jarvis CPA. I like to think of myself as the least boring CPA that you know, which I realize is a very low bar, but I spent a lot of my career doing very stereotypical CPA things at big firms, but I had also grown up around financial planning, so I was at least familiar and so a couple of years ago now Some advisors came to me and basically said, hey, we can't find CPAs that will play nice with financial advisors. Will you come help be part of the solution? And so now I spend all of my time working in the financial planning space. I still serve clients. I still prepare tax returns. But I put out a lot of content and resources on top of that for advisors, really with the end goal that in as many ways as possible, we're helping taxpayers not get killed on taxes.
0: Yeah. And so so pretty much what you do is you help partner with advisors, you help file the returns for their clients and do some of the tax planning. So it kind of feels more of like a one one team, even though they don't have a CPA firm in-house.
2: Yeah, so that's a a part of what we do. And then on a bigger scale, we have kind of almost more of a a coaching or resource platform that's, hey, for advisors who either they serve clients who aren't in our niche because we stay very focused on who we prepare returns for, um, or uh, we have a lot of advisors in our community that already do taxes in-house or they're enrolled agents themselves. They're looking for resources on how they can learn and do more. So we have advisors who come to us when they're brand new to tax planning and they're like, where do I even start? And we also have advisors who, uh, honestly, I mean, they could probably run circles around me with their tax knowledge, but they don't want to have to focus on staying up to date on what the li- latest tax law changes. is. And I, as, as you guys, I'm sure, will attest to, the, the people that I respect the most for their abilities are the people who are always learning. And so, those, so we have those advisors in our community as well that, that I mean, they, they know a lot of great stuff, but they always want to learn from other people.
0: Yeah, Definitely. I think that's kind of the big value out of this podcast for me, too, is bringing on people like you, asking those hard questions, things that we're thinking about with our clients and really get to learn. Because, I mean, even my Twitter post today was all about tax law changes that are about to sunset. Right. And so we know the landscape might look entirely different. And so as soon as everybody gets a handle on things like I think in the last year is when people really started to understand and talk about QBI. And now that's something that's set to potentially go away in the next you know year or so.
2: Yeah, I mean, taxes are complicated enough as they are today, but like you said, we already know they're set to change uh, and Congress can really, the tax code's written in pencil. Congress can change it any they want and they take advantage of that. Over the last couple of years, there have been a lot of changes that have gone on. They don't all impact everyone. So some of our clients might not really feel the rate of change that's happened in the last couple of years, but it, I think it's gonna accelerate over the next couple of years and we've gotta be ready for it if we wanna help people not get killed on taxes.
0: Definitely. And and one of the big ones that might be coming is increase marginal brackets, right? Instead of 10 and 12, it's 10 and 15. All these brackets are shifting up. And so one thing that I know is on a lot of people's minds is Roth conversions. And it's something that's on my mind. And I think it's actually, let alone the changes coming. I think it's something that's been on my mind more and more because I think in the advisor community, I see so often like Roth everything. Like people are like, pay taxes now, don't pay taxes later. Taxes have to go up. But there's such this disconnect between like, hey, if you're a really high income earner, it's going to be really hard to be in that tax rate in retirement just based on what you live off of. And so, you know, this only works well between Roth conversions and and using lower brackets. And so topic of today that I really wanted to dive in with you is just, you know, the power of Roth conversions, how to do them correctly, why they're important. Because I do get the whole idea of like, if you don't have a plan, Roth everything, I guess, could probably be better if you're never going to do conversions. And, but if you do have a plan and you do know when to take advantage of them, it's kind of hard for me to go on the side that Roth everything makes sense for anybody other than low income earners. And even then, maybe not.
2: Yeah, Thomas, one of the questions I really like to ask people on any topic of Roth in particular is, hey, go ahead and explain to me all the times that you wouldn't recommend this strategy to someone. Because it, it's really concerning to me when when we take any topic and it's the answer to everything, Roth included. And the, I, I mean, I, I'm really active on LinkedIn. I know you're on Twitter and LinkedIn both. Uh, Jacob, I know I see you on, on LinkedIn all the time. I'm not sure what else you're on. So I say this with all due respect to all of us. Uh, the Internet is garbage sometimes, and the way it's built and structured, we we all get pushed to, to making these blanket statements, these really aggressive statements. We I mean, L- LinkedIn wouldn't do me any good if I started every post with a massive three paragraph disclaimer about how Roth really only applies in these specific situations. And so you just get a lot of this stuff out there that makes people feel like these things have to be done all the time in every situation. But Thomas, I- I'm with you. It's a much more nuanced approach that Roth versus traditional yeah, it needs to be specific to a person's situation. And historically, especially if you rewind 10 plus years ago, the financial planning community at large was much more focused on on baby boomers, on people about to retire. And so, making blanket statements about Roth maybe made a little bit more sense, uh, at least from where people might have been coming from. But it, it's just not it's not helpful anymore to just state that that everyone has to do it. The way the way I phrase this. Is everyone should consider Roth every single year, and I'll stand by that. We can we can argue about that if you'd like, but to me, um, Roth is still one of the most widely available tools for getting money into a tax free bucket. But that doesn't mean we should put money into it every year. Or we should convert every year. It should just be on. It should be someone in our plan. To your point, so if I'm a high income earner right now, maybe where it is in my plan is later on down the road.
1: I, yeah. I think one thing too, Stephen, that I see a lot is just the standpoint that people that are high income earners that ultimately become high net worth or even ultra high net worth. What they don't realize is the fact that when they don't have this money in the Roth bucket and they're deferring these taxes along the road, ultimately they are going to be paying the taxes on it because everybody thinks that like, I'm not paying the taxes, I'm getting this huge benefit. (laughs) But the reality is that when you have RMDs and things like that in the future, a lot of the clients that we work with, the reality is they're probably not going to be using a lot of their tax deferred assets first. And they're ultimately going to be taking them out just as RMDs in the future. So, I think to your point, it is so nuanced in terms of how you're actually using these in each of your specific situations.
0: I think in that situation, though, for example, right, you have the athlete or let's say the successful young person who has a ton of income and their career is going to be short, right? An athlete's probably done in their 30s. You know, the worst case scenario, right, is you do traditional, you go to retire, you are going to be in the 37% tax bracket plus potentially a high state. And you just decide, hey, well, maybe I'm just going to convert all of this over right now because it doesn't look like it's going to be any more advantageous down the line. Like, I think that's the thing is the worst case is what you would be doing by doing Roth at that period of time anyways.
2: Yeah, one of the things that gets missed a lot when talking about the advantages of Roth is the flexibility, which I, I think is some of what you're speaking to, Thomas, that if, if we just go ahead and take if we if we cut the IRS out of our life, that's that's how one of the ways I look at Roth is this is cutting the IRS out of my picture then in the future, in, in the unknown future, because none of us have a crystal ball that works currently, now we have this pool of money that no matter what happens, we have, we have more flexibility in our decision-making because especially, you know, look over the last couple of decades, the, the push in this space has been defer, defer, defer. And when you, all you do is defer, if you get to a year, when you get to a year where you want a one-time lump sum of money, hopefully for something fun or positive, it potentially, it might not be something so fun or positive. But when you need that lump sum of money, if your only option is tax deferred accounts, now, instead of trying to cover this $100,000 bill, I'm trying to figure out how much I need to take out to cover the taxes and the $100,000 bill.
1: Well, I yeah, think the I other thing, too, to easier. think about, you know, I think the other thing, Thomas, with a lot of the clients that, that we're working with, and Stephen, I'm sure you see this a lot, it's just the amount of time that they have to potentially let that money compound and ultimately invest it. If they yeah. have know potentially 20, 30, maybe even 40 years, Lord willing, to let that money compound in a Roth or a tax-free bucket. Now all of a sudden that decision based on their current year tax rate becomes even more convoluted because you say, like, well, maybe I am paying a significant amount in taxes. And I mean I'll speak to my personal situation. I converted a massive amount of money over the past two years. And it really stung paying all those taxes on the upfront when I didn't have to pay them. But the reality is it will probably save me millions of dollars in taxes in the long run because Lord willing, there's 30, 40 years to let that money continue to grow and invest in compound.
0: Yeah, I think this is where the hard part of like, you know, what are the options that you have, right? Because if you do have like mega backdoor like option, to me, it's like I probably wouldn't do Roth 401k, then mega backdoor, then tradi- then regular backdoor Roth IRA, right? Like if you have the ability to get Roth in in the mega, that that definitely changes for me to say traditional is even more advantageous because we can have that mix. And I think the whole side, like some people like do 50-50 every year, right? Or some people say all versus one. And to me, I I, don't, I think 50-50 maybe is something you could consider in the 20% brackets. But for me in the 30% brackets, that's where I'm like traditional mostly, then always do back to a Roth IRA. Like to me, that's a no brainer. You have post-tax dollars already. Why wouldn't you want it to grow tax-free versus that? And then you can still go back to, mega backdoor or something else. But like, I think if you worked with somebody like us, right, we're all high income earners. We're all doing really well. And you could work with them from 22 on. I feel like you'd have a bunch of years in your 20s and early 30s where you would put every single dollar you possibly can in Roth. as you're As you're growing your income, maybe you get married, you go back down a little bit. And then you're going to hit these really high income earning years where you can still get Roth from backdoor Roth dollars. But that's when traditional starts to make a lot of sense and defer it. And then, you know, are there going to be periods of time later in life that you can do Roth conversions, et cetera, and eventually get most to Roth. But I think it's one of those things that the longer the planning horizon, the longer that you really get to think about this, the more you can do the let's take advantage of this when it starts to really make sense.
2: There's some really good points there, Thomas. I, I, the, maybe I shouldn't hate on the internet quite so much since I use it so much, but there's another place I, I feel like uh, headlines do us a disservice because what gets the headlines is the massive Roth co- conversions or the, the Peter Teals of the world, these really extreme examples wh- where most people are going to be way better off. It's consistent actions over time. Small, small hinges swing big doors. If we can get into this early, make a long-term plan, we're going to come out way further ahead the other thing that stood out to me as you were talking about that especially given that 50 50 example is that any kind of planning tax planning included is kind of equal parts art and science and the 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 art piece of it definitely includes the behavioral piece of it to me uh because what some people get hung up on is the mathematically optimal outcome and you can use all these different softwares and and adjust the, the the dials and levers until you're blue in the face trying to just get it to that precise level where you've got it down to the penny. Uh, and personally, I, I, st- I stay away from that because it gets in the way of actually getting things done. I've seen just beautiful, complicated plans that no one ever took action on that then were worthless. And part of why that, that stood out to me as you were talking is that um, one of the things that gets missed, I think, a lot with Roth versus traditional is that it really comes down to what tax rates do in the future, right? It's our relative income when we make the contribution, we make the conversion, and then when we use the money. And so you can you can, you can can go find detailed academic level articles that will talk about how really doing 50-50 kind of offsets the impact. Because if, if we take an overly simple example, and I put $1,000 in pre-tax and $1,000 in Roth, then whatever the tax rates do in the future are going to offset any benefit. But, as we, create, as we create flexibility, as we create a plan that we can execute on, and then as, as we're intentional, because I would imagine that, Thomas, and really you spoke to this, that it's not just do 50-50 forever. It's, hey, maybe there's a period of time there where I'm doing 50-50, and then I'm looking at when I convert. Uh, and so, again, the, you, everybody wants a rule of thumb. They can just follow and, and move on with their life without hiring a professional, and that's only going to get you so far.
0: Yeah, I think the other variable there that's hard, too, is like retirement spending right? Because like if you, you're going to have the RMDs, right? So like that, yeah. that's a big component of it. But if you're going to retire and you're going to live on $80,000 a month versus eight hundred or 80000 a year versus $800,000 a year, right? Mm-hmm. That effective tax rate you're going to be in is, is entirely different. So I think that's a variable where people always say like, oh, taxes are going to be higher in the future. So go Roth. But the thought is, is like tax rates could be higher but I could be paying significantly less in tax because I won't be using those brackets. I think that's a big difference where people like just hear that. And they think that that applies to them when in reality, like that specifically might not. The other funny one is like, so I posted today about, you know, tax law changes that are coming. There's all these people who are like, let's be real. Like their taxes are not going to become less favorable. Right. No president, like when's the last president who didn't do that. Right. They look back and they're like, okay, with Obama and Trump that, you know, people were like, Hey, Is this going to get extended? Are taxes going to go up? Are they going to go down? And typically they go down. So everybody always argues with me about that. Like, hey, tax changes are not coming. They're not getting worse. And then we look into the future and say, taxes are going to be worse though. And it's funny to me because it's like, how do we have both sides of this where everybody thinks taxes have to go up, but but they don't think anybody will ever make the change to make taxes go up. Well, yeah, Thomas, some of that uh, I think
2: uh, Thomas. Some of that to me, uh, I, I wonder if it's when we talk about when we talk about other people versus we talk about ourselves. Because I, I really like to have conversations with the, the specific to the client. Um, so people will ask me sometimes how I stay out of the politics of taxes. It, it's really easy. If I if I ask Thomas about how he feels about his tax situation, he wants to pay less in taxes. That's across the board, regardless of any client's political beliefs. They personally want to pay less in taxes. Everyone just has different opinions on how much other people should pay. So if we take this to a personal level and say, okay, what Mr. and Mrs. Client, are you concerned the tax rates might go up in the future? And if they have concerns the tax rates might go up in the future, either because... Uh, and they can put whatever label they want on it. It's because the debt's too high. It's because they're, they're going to sunset in 2026. It's because my neighbor told me that they met someone whose third cousin is in Congress and is going. Whatever their reason is, I don't care what their reason is. If they're concerned tax rates are going to go up, and I happen to share that concern, then we want to talk about cutting the IRS uh, out of our picture, and, and Roth is a great way to do that.
1: Well, I think it goes back to, you know, we had a podcast earlier where we talked about the value of advice and Stephen, you've mentioned the idea of like hiring a professional. And I think one thing that gets missed oftentimes is you can find everything that we do on the first page of Google. And if not the first page, probably the second page. But the reality is how you apply it to your own life and having somebody that you can have those open conversations about because Stephen, to your point, you know, oftentimes it doesn't come down to a spreadsheet and showing that, hey, this is the exact right solution for you because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But it's having somebody that can ask those probing questions around what they're actually looking to try trying to accomplish in the future and then say, here's all the options we have out in front of us. And understanding that those things might change in five or 10 or 15 years, but let's make the best decision today. So I'm curious from your perspective, Stephen. What have been some of the best ways you've seen those Roth conversion conversations communicated with clients? Because the reality is, nobody wants to pay an extra amount in taxes in a given year.
2: Yeah, you got to start with that long term. Goal and what we're really trying to accomplish, and so it's got to be structured around. We're trying to reduce the taxes you pay over the lifetime of your wealth, and so I. I a lot of people will say over your lifetime. I like to take it that step further because we got to tie it to what their legacy plans are as well. At least most of the clients I, I deal with, they, they have the the good fortune of having to to need legacy plans, and so it's. I mean, even if we just bifurcate it between this is going to my kids or this isn't going to my kids, going to charity, wherever else it's going, that can that can play a huge role in how aggressive we might consider being with Roth conversions. It also helps with what the motivation behind these things is going to be so that as we're executing the plan, as we go to write these huge tax checks, that we can tie it back to what it is we're accomplishing and not just get hung up on, geez, the IRS took a lot of my money this year. And so I think that's where that, that professional advice comes in. Uh, is so helpful, not just upfront and laying the plan, but in executing the plan and following through on the plan and having peace of mind during the plan because again, the software will tell you here's the, you know, here $72,806 is the, is the Roth conversion I need to make this year. It's like, well, that that's an option. If I'm talking to the client and for some reason they're really hung up on going $5,000 in, over the 24% bracket great. Let's stop the 24% brag. Let's stop where this is going to be a good experience for you. It's going, to be, it's going to be painful still. We're still writing a big check to the IRS, but we've got to balance the math side of it and the emotional side of it. Otherwise, we're not going to follow through. We're going to be resentful. We're not going to stick to the plan, those kinds of things.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's a, a good example. I feel like it's helpful for people to think about what are times that Roth conversions do make sense. And I think for me, like I have a couple of good situations in this last year where it made sense. So like two that I had, one is um, I'm working with a household where they're, they're founders. They're both like high level engineers. They sold a company last year and they're probably like, you know, mid forties, just under 10 million net worth, but they have a ton of money in cash and they have Mm -hmm. like, of their investments, like 50% in pre-tax accounts, which makes a lot of sense, right? They're making millions of dollars every single year going into this, but they yeah. just sold a company and they're starting a new company where it's like they, they're putting some money into it. There's a 0% chance they're gonna have any revenue within two years, probably yeah. probably beyond that because it's a software-based company. It's an AI company that they're building. And so sitting with seven figures in cash, they have the ability to convert in the next two years You know, just under a million dollars to Roth at a way lower effective tax rate than they ever would have possibly paid and they had the cash on the sidelines and I think we've talked about the cash side a bunch in this for people who don't know the reason why you have to have the cash is because we all hear that you can't take money out of a 401k or an IRA or et cetera until 59 and a half. And if you do, you have a 10% penalty. So on these Roth conversions, people get confused. Like the conversion is taxable, but there's no penalty because you're moving it to another retirement account. But if you don't pay the taxes out of cash and you pay it and you withhold, and they'll ask you if you want to withhold too. So it's kind of misleading. But if you withhold, now that is a penalty. So now if it was going to cost you, you know, a hundred thousand to take out and you were going to take it, you know, now you have that 10% penalty and you could lose, call it 10,000 more dollars, which is... Definitely something that we don't want to plan for because you only have so much room to put money in retirement accounts. You don't want to waste it by the penalty on a conversion.
2: Yeah, so, Thomas, I'm glad you brought that EXO specifically to the cash flow piece because I think that does get missed a lot uh, of how, not just how the tax are going to get paid, but what does this look like for your overall situation? Because sometimes that's an easier way to decide how much of a Roth conversion you're going to do as opposed to, again, going through all the complicated software only to find out, wait, we're not comfortable or we're not able to pay the taxes at that level. The other thing that made me think of uh, is that as we have these conversations, especially for people who are still working, is I, I like to go order of operations on anything related to retirement accounts. Of uh, Do we have the cash flow to, especially for mid-career, keep funding retirement accounts while we're doing conversions because there's no limit on how much of a conversion we can do. There are limits. We have our annual limits on how much we can contribute. And in in the case of the client you were talking about, I mean, if they're not going to have revenue, they might not have any access to contribute those two years, might be a moot point. But I see that get missed a lot where we get really carried away with, oh, let's go ahead and convert. And it's like, well, were we going to go ahead and take advantage of that contribution limit we're going to lose this year? Like, what's the balance there?
0: Yeah. No, I think that that's definitely an important one. The, the one that I always find like interesting there is like, do you do the Roth conversion? Do you put money into a traditional side, right? Because you're kind of offsetting it here or because you already want to do Roth because of the bracket, are you just upping that Roth contribution there as well? It's always an interesting one to think through.
2: Yeah, so many levers you can pull.
0: Yeah. Um, so the, I guess the other client situation that I have that I felt like this made a lot of sense for is I had a client who he was an executive at a Fortune 500 company, um, he basically retired at the end of last year and now he's going into to retire. I don't know if retirement's the right word. He doesn't know if he wants to work because he's mid forties. They're pretty wealthy, but now they have the situation where they have no income for, mm-hmm. he knows at least for this year and probably next year, he's going to take it off. And he's been seven figure income earner for the longest time again. Wow. And he has a ton of cash. He has a ton of cash on hand because he didn't know what he was going to want to do. Didn't know if he should invest. He doesn't know how, and he didn't want to invest and rebalance because he had too much risk. And then on top of that he has his company stock that he wants to get rid of Mm -hmm. so you have plenty of cash Mm -hmm. on the sidelines to be able to do these roth conversions in mid-40s and i think a lot of people in this age range think that they don't want to go back to work but they do it's pretty hard to be like such a you know high earner yeah you you've found a ton of value in what you did and all of a sudden you know you're 45 and you say i'm never working again I don't think is that likely. I think if anything, maybe you go to a smaller company that you really enjoy, or you do something different Then maybe he'll work till his seventies. And so I think these are the times where like, Hey, if you're not working with an advisor and you don't think about this, you might be missing out on millions of dollars in tax savings that could have happened just to say, here, I have this advantage. Yes. It's going to sing to pay the taxes, but it's going to set me up to be in a position where I'm re- you know, now we don't, now we don't have, you know, in our mid 40s in pre-tax accounts, maybe now we're down to two and we have a million and a half in Roth and now you're sitting really good. I think one situation
1: too that came up the last couple of years um, with clients was given that the market had pulled back, you think about all the different options that you have with cash and ultimately cash is king, right? So you could either invest that money in stocks that were potentially down, you could potentially take advantage of the fact that your asset values are lower and potentially do Roth conversions, Or you can simply keep the cash on the sidelines and maybe it's earmarked for a future purchase. But I think it goes back to making sure the client understands what are we trying to accomplish with the potential cash we have. Because, Stephen, I think you make a great point that all this Roth conversion talk is amazing. But you have to have the flexibility and you need to have the cash available to be able to make those, those contributions where you can make those conversions and have the cash and not feel stressed about it. So it goes back to saying like, maybe we buy some assets that are on sale and then we take advantage of decreased asset values and do a little bit of a Roth conversion.
2: Well, it speaks to the importance of having that trusted financial advisor in your life. Someone who's gonna have those detailed conversations with you and in my mind, it's also asking the questions in the right order because I've I've seen clients have really poor experiences when an advisor goes down this path of, oh, we should do a Roth conversion. It should be this much and here's all the tax benefits you're gonna get from it. It's gonna be so great client gets excited. Yeah, let's do that. And then that's the point where they go to figure out how they're going to pay the taxes. And oh, wait, we don't have a good way to pay the taxes. And now not only are they not going to get the Roth conversion done, but now they feel like they've messed up their whole life and are missing out on this huge opportunity because we didn't start with a better understanding of where they're at and how this is all going to get managed.
0: Yeah, Roth conversions start probably one, two, three years ahead of actually doing them, right? Because it's not something you can say, hey, I'm going to convert $400,000 and like, we'll just figure it out when it happens. Mm -hmm. Because that tax liability might be $100,000 based on where you are. And so you might all of a sudden be like, wow, you know, I just sold my business. This is a really great year. But, you know, you should have been thinking about when you sold your business, not moving all of those to an opportunity zone or a new private investment or, you know wherever those dollars might have gone, you really got to think about it ahead of time. Um, I think maybe for people who don't know, I mean, we've gone into a lot of the details here. Maybe the last two things we talk about, one is just like specifically how do you do it? We've talked about the points. So I think so so people can understand how to get it right, make sure you report this correctly, et cetera. And then maybe walk through some times where it might not make sense to do Roth conversions where people are thinking, where we've seen people think about it.
2: Yeah. Usually the first thing I tell people on actually getting the Roth conversion done is, hey, I don't move the money, um, which, which is absolutely true. I'm, I'm, I'm only on the tax side. I'm not, I'm not licensed. I don't deal with the investments. But I say that a little bit tongue in cheek because I, I like to be involved throughout the whole process. I'm just not the one who physically moves the money. But to, to your point, Thomas, there, there are some key steps we need to make sure we get right here. I tell advisors all the time that the tax planning is not done until it gets reported to the IRS correctly. And I, I see that get missed a lot because the, the money's got to come out of a pre-tax account. It's got to go into a Roth account. We, we don't want to cash that check and put it in our bank account in the meantime. Um, and we we want to make sure that we understand how the taxes are getting paid. Uh, whether that's there, there are times where I see people do that through withholding. And if they're avoiding that penalty. Uh, you know, if it's, let's, let's withhold a little bit to pay the taxes. We don't have the penalty and that's the only way we're going to get it done. Then great. That's better than not doing it. But I'm with you. Paying it out of cash is the ideal way to do it. But then we've also got to understand the timing. Cause this is one I see get missed too. That if we make a Roth conversion early in the year, mid year, that IRS really expects our our taxes be paid as we earn the income. And when that money comes out of your pre-tax account, that's when you technically earned that income for tax purposes. And so making sure that estimated payments are getting made if we're not doing withholdings, it's another important step of the process. And then the 1099R is the tax form that the custodian is going to send at the end of the year that says, hey, this money came out of the account. Those forms are not particularly helpful. And so this is where... Be, making sure that you're helping your client and ideally working directly with their tax preparer to say, here's what happened and how it needs to get reported is going to make sure that clients don't get double taxed on the same income to make sure that it correctly gets reported on form 8606 as a Roth conversion to make sure we don't have uh, frustrations at tax time. And, and the other thing it helps with is tax professionals, by and large, are trained and really asked by their clients to help them save as much as they can this year. Whatever this year is, it's always right now, how do I save as much as possible? And so if you've had no communication with the client's tax preparer and you help them do a million dollar Roth conversion, when that tax preparer sees their tax return, almost guaranteed what they're going to say is, geez, your, ta- your financial advisor made your taxes go up $300,000 this year. What the heck are they doing? and you're going to get thrown right under the bus and in that moment the client sitting in front of who they see as another trusted professional and they're, re, they're they're second guessing everything you did with them so we're, that's that's a whole other tangent we could do hours on of having those those relationships can really impact not only the the tangible outcome but the experience your client has along the way
0: yeah i think it's a big reason why you talk about it with the cpa and your client before it happens to like for me i love when my clients use the cpas that i've like connected them to, because we all think the same way. Like they are forward thinking, they understand Roth conversion. They understand why we might pay taxes today versus defer them. Sometimes when we have to stick with existing client CPAs, they're that way, right? All they think about is because at the end of the day, the lowest tax liability means they're probably keeping the client. But I still think you can approach that conversation and say, Hey, here's what we're thinking for tax planning this year. Do you have any hesitations? And then you can kind of avoid this like weird of like, I connect to, talk to your the client, the client that talks to CPA, CPA then talks to the client. Client comes back to me. It just becomes this weird loop where nobody is communicating correctly. Versus all of you are on the same team and you don't have to worry about those interactions.
2: Well, and in that situation where you don't have that relationship with the CPA that they, they've—it's their uncle. They've worked with her for 30 years, and, and they're very much in the camp of, of Roth never. Sometimes you even you, you just. Call it out to the client, make a joke about it ahead of time. Just say, hey, we're going to do this together. Here's all the reasons why. When you get to tax time, there are some CPAs who will tell you this is a terrible idea. And here's why they look at it that way. And here's why we're doing it anyways. And then when your client gets to that situation, they're like, oh, that's right. Thomas told me this might happen. We're all good.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, let's walk through some of the times. I mean, Anybody share whatever they can think of, of times where you don't think a Roth conversion can make sense and I know there can be the argument of like well hey I mean you're getting money into Roth so like technically there's never a time where it's like for sure bad but maybe we talk about some times where you know, maybe I wouldn't consider that. And the first one that comes to my mind, I guess, what well, you guys think is if you don't have the cash on the sidelines, like I don't really see a good reason to, unless somehow you're like, Hey, I've been in 37 plus California. And now I'm in zero and live in Texas and I don't have the cash. And that's still significantly better. But in general, if you don't have the cash, I feel like that's probably not the best time to be doing it.
2: Yeah. Knowing where it's going to get paid from is critical. Uh, definitely. For, for me, it's, it comes down to relative income. And so years where we know that we're an unusually high income year. So that might be the year we sell a business. That might be the, uh, we just inherited an IRA from someone else and we've got this additional income. But when we, when we can look at our earnings history and what we expect for the future and say, nope, right now we're in our top years. Uh, those are, th- th- that's one of the things I'm going to look for to say, wait, do we hold off on a Roth conversion right now?
1: I would say the other, the other time too, is just making sure that everybody is on the same page and everybody's totally bought in because the worst thing that you can do is do a Roth conversion and they get down the road in eight months and they're paying the tax bill. And now all of a sudden they're realizing exactly the ramifications of doing this conversion. And they're like, I didn't totally understand what I was doing. And I really had this this cash earmarked for this new car purchase or this vacation I wanted to go on. And then all of a sudden they're frustrated about it, even though it was the right move from an Excel spreadsheet standpoint, So I think making sure that everybody's completely bought in, and that includes client, CPA, advisor. I mean, ultimately, I can think of so many situations where if one of those three people isn't completely bought into the situation, it blows it up. And it might not blow it up until six months down the road. And it still might be the right decision. But in somebody's mind of one of those three people, it's not the right decision anymore. And it kind of affects how it was perceived by the entire team.
2: One that I would add, Thomas, it might seem a, a little uh, out of the or a little unusual of how I'm going to phrase this, but if I could wave my magic wand, financial advisors would not be allowed to do Roth conversions if they don't have a copy of the most recent tax return. Because so, the, tax planning doesn't happen in a silo. There's so many other things that get impacted. We're we're as we've talked on this podcast. I mean, we've got a limited amount of time, so uh, we've really just focused on income. But there's there's tax credits, there's uh, Medicare payments, there's other things that go into or that come out of our tax return. That uh, and and I see it happen. It it definitely happens, and it and it really it really frustrates me when I see advisors making recommendations on Roth conversions and they've never looked at a tax return.
0: Yeah, I think even going on that, then the next year you have to look at the tax return too, right? You're talking about form 8606, everything tracked correctly. We find mistakes in clients' tax returns every single year. Like we had one last year where a client maxed out their HSA, but it wasn't on their return, right? Like Mm. that's a big difference in savings that you want to have on there. And I think going kind of with what you're both were saying is I think if somebody brings this up to you on like, you know, December 31st is not a realistic time, right? Because all the custodians require it to be on like the 24th or whatever the day is. But if you just get it brought up to you and you have just that day and you don't really understand it, probably not the best time to do it either. Because it goes just with what Jake was saying is like, if you can't fully understand it, be able to explain why you're doing it and why it makes sense. You're just setting yourself up for like people to get that tax return dollar and be like, why is this double? I don't get it. Why do I want to pay taxes today? And like, that's not really a fight that you want to be having. Um, Any other ones that you guys can think of?
2: One that gets thrown out sometimes I don't necessarily agree with, I hear people take really hard stances on let's not do Roth conversions if it's going to bump us into a new Irma bracket, which this is clearly only related to people who pre-retirees, retirees, retirees, people who are getting uh, close to 65. Uh, But I'll I'll see people draw that hard line of I'm never going to push into the next Irma bracket. And to be honest, I don't agree. Um, I, I'm going to look at that client specific situation. I'm not going to go over the limit every single time for every single client. We got to take into consideration all these other things that we've been talking about. But what I what I find with uh, those advisors who are doing that, and this might feel like a contradiction of something I said earlier, but they're not they're not actually looking at the real numbers. Irma's this big scary thing, and this can happen a lot with taxes that we we see something as a black box or a scary thing that we just want to avoid. But we do we, it's it's not that we should never do math. It's that we shouldn't get caught up on making it perfect. And so on on the uh, the Irma threshold, it for a lot of people it's not as big of an impact to trip over the first Irma bracket as they might think. And it just needs to go into the plan. Okay, great. This Roth conversion is going to cost an extra $3,000 next year. Does that still make sense?
0: I think that's a really important one in all of tax planning. I hear the same thing with like even Roth conversions like only fill up the bracket you're in, right? Like you don't yeah. want to jump to the next one or like hey, when you're exercising ISOs is like never trigger AMT. But it's like, well, what if to finish doing them and you're about to leave a job and you have two hundred and eighty dollars of AMT? Or what if you jump from twenty-two to twenty-four on ten thousand? So you have an extra two hundred dollars of taxes, right? Like these never's or always don't really work because the dollar amount ends up mattering. Like if you're somebody who's been making millions of dollars and you're gonna jump from twenty-two to twenty-four and you're gonna pay an extra 2000 in tax to do another 100,000 in conversions. To me, that's a no brainer, not like a thing that you should absolutely avoid.
2: Yeah, 100%.
0: Um, okay, cool. Any closing thoughts? Any other things that we can think of that we haven't hit on as it relates to Roth conversions?
1: You know, I think the biggest thing, and this is kind of a, a wrap up of what everybody said, is you have to take these situations into real life, right? You know, Stephen, so you talk about the urban bracket, and we can talk all day about how it's going to make you pay a couple hundred bucks more a month your Medicare premiums, but the reality is if you're gonna go buy a new house in five years and now all of a sudden you have all this money in tax-deferred accounts and you're gonna to have to take it out, it's gonna have this massive ramification. So life is not done in the spreadsheet. Um, I know you guys talk a lot about life is not done in percentages, it's done in dollar amounts. And we need to understand what we're trying to accomplish in real life and be able to take all the strategies that we have and figure out how are we gonna actually implement these into real life to get us the best outcome for the end client.
0: Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I guess even for me, it's just kind of remembering like the steps on this Roth conversion, really like the the goal is that you want to pay the least amount of taxes over your lifetime. And so we've all kind of talked about the benefits of, you know, sometimes 50, 50, sometimes it's all pre-tax, sometimes it's all Roth. But at the end of the day, the goal is to pay the least amount of taxes over your lifetime. You can do that by moving money from pre-tax to post-tax at really advantageous times. But remember, you have to report this correctly. You should try to plan to have cash on the sidelines for it. And you need to plan a couple years of ahead of t- ahead of time. And you know, as we alluded to as well, like when the market is down and when your income is low, are two really good times to, to start to think about it. And I think the last thing on that too is if you're if it's accumulators, you should have their last pay stub as well, right? Because they might tell you, "Hey, I make two hundred thirty thousand dollars," but they might have forgot about random bonuses or other things that come, came about, or you know, other deductions that they had. That that's kind of the the best way to do it. All right. Well, thanks, man. We really appreciate it. And everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, please rate subscribe and we will see you back next week.